Yo, 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 what's good? Thank you for coming to the House of Barf. I'm Chan Man. And before we get started, I would just like to emphasize that the content that we share on House of Barf is for informational and entertainment purposes only. We are not financial advisors and the information provided should not be considered as professional financial advice. Investing and financial decisions involve risk. And it's crucial to do your own research or consult with a qualified professional before making any financial choices. The opinions expressed on House of Barf are, are of our, our own and do not reflect the views of any organizations that we may be affiliated with. Please remember that past performance is not indicative of future results and the financial landscape can change rapidly. Always conduct thorough due diligence and seek financial advice from a financial advisor tailored to your personal needs and circumstances. By listening to this podcast, you agree that the host and in the future, if we have any guests, are not responsible for any financial decisions you make as a result of the information presented on House of Barf. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Yo, 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 what's good? It's Chairman House of Barf. I was just sitting here chilling. Of course, about to hop online, you know, just. Do a little research, you know. Oh, uh, crap. Uh, you know, so I said, okay, let me go ahead and turn the mic on. Um, I just wanted to see. Excuse me. It's uh, early. Um, I just wanted to see, you know, what the Forex was doing. Uh, I think it should be started now. Um... Okay, I'm uh, pulling it up right now. Okay, my short position. Uh, I'm still in USDJPY. I'm just letting it cool. I'm not, you know, doing too much with it. I'm still learning Forex. Uh, we're going on about probably about five weeks of learning Forex, and it's no rush. Uh, long position is down approximately. 243 pips uh and then the hedge position was down approximately 41 pips okay i'm gonna let that cool and uh, i'm gonna work on getting some more hopefully some more cash to be able to um uh play around with uh in the meanwhile um gonna just one thing that um I was just gonna pick up was uh was I know there's kind of some questions on like not, not questions but you know the topic of you know what if I don't want to be in the market and um excuse me I'm sorry um or not so much be in the market um just other opportunities that are available let's say for example um i'm a i'm guessing okay i'm uh, i'm guessing I'm, I'm just making this up not saying that this is true but let's say for example here let's just google it let's just google it so i've you've, you've kind of come across a lot of money and uh, you've, you got a lot of capital gains. I don't know, maybe you sold a piece of real estate or 
no, uh, you know, I hope this doesn't happen, but maybe you inherited a, a lot of money or something. Um, and you're kind of wondering, where do I go from here? I'm not trying to be in the stock market. Uh, that's going to give me too much in capital gains tax. Um, I, I, I want to put my money somewhere. And I want to put my money somewhere and I don't want to have it. Uh, make me a lot of money. As a matter of fact, if there's any way I can put my money somewhere and make it uh, make me zero dollars, um, that would be even better. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and just type it in. Uh, just figure it out. Because, um, you know, one thing with the market is I, I feel like it can be an assumption that whenever you're in the market, the goal is to make money. There are actually some individuals who, for various reasons, don't want to make any money. So, uh, what avenues are available for people who don't want to make any money and still want to put their money in something and very possibly put their money in something that can still, you know, be useful, you know? Um, let's go ahead and say this. I'm just going to Google it. Where can I invest my money when I want to make zero dollars? All right, let's see. How can I invest? Oh, no. Okay, they didn't get it. I didn't ask that correctly. Uh, where I can make uh, 0% interest. Because, yeah, it's a concern for some people. Um, you know, if you're a, a single individual and you just happen to make, I don't know, like $10 million this year. I don't, I don't know. I'm just making up a number. And you say, you know... I need to find a way to not make any money, you know. Um, uh, let's see. 10 best low risk investments. See, they're not, uh, it's not, yeah, it's not getting what I'm trying to say. Uh, let me try again. I want to invest my money and make 0% interest. It, it probably sounds like, what? what are you talking about? Uh, see, it's, it's thinking that I, um, am trying to invest with zero dollars. I don't understand. Make, yeah, it's just not making sense. Uh, where can I make 10% interest on my money? See, yeah, it's not even getting what I'm trying to say. Um, let's see. So, of course, if I was to start off, I mean... Why not the bank account? You know, um, there's nothing wrong with putting it in a bank account. However, um, let me see something. Uh, are there bank accounts where FDIC insures? According to Investopedia, in general, Stop. nearly all banks carry FDIC insurance for their depositors. However, there are two limitations to that coverage. The first is that only depository accounts, such as checking, savings, bank money market accounts, and CDs, are covered. Okay, well, here's something right here. Where do millionaires put their money? Millionaires don't worry about FDIC insurance. Their money is held in their name and not in the name of the custodial private bank. Other millionaires have safe deposit boxes full of cash denominations or denominated in many different currencies. Okay. Uh... How to safely store deposits if you have more than $250,000. Open an account at a different bank, add a joint owner, get an account 
That is okay. So I guess if you're getting a joint owner, I guess you're both insured up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I'm not sure. Uh, get an account that's in a different ownership category. Join a credit union. Use IntraFi network deposits. Open a cash management account. Put your money in a Max Safe account. Opt for an account with both FDIC and DIF insurance. I've never heard of DIF insurance. Let me see what that is. What is DIF insurance? Depositories Insurance Fund. Uh, how does DIF insurance work? The Deposit Insurance Fund is a private insurance provider devoted to insuring the deposits of individuals covered by the FDIC Corporation. The money in the Deposit Insurance Fund is set aside to pay back the money lost due to the failure of a financial institution. How much? Uh, let me see. Um, how much does DIF insurance cover? $250,000. According to Bank Prov, after the creation of the EPTIC in 1933, the MSCF's charter was modified to cover deposits above and beyond the FDIC's coverage limit. Today, the DIF continues to insure all deposits for its member banks that exceed that EPTIC limit of $250,000. See, that would be crazy to like. I'm not sure if you could do this, but if you get the FDIC, then you get the DIF, and then you get a joint owner you know, to cover up like $750,000. If that's true, I don't know if that'll work or not. Um, not to mention all those other options that they offered. I mean, that's just crazy to have a joint owner on that. And knowing that, I mean, you would just want to make sure that like, hey, before anything goes down with this account, you know, we both have to, you know, be there or we both have to sign on. Like, even that's crazy because what if they don't want to sign on anything and then, you know what I'm saying? Like, ah, oh, man, it must be crazy when you have a lot of money, man, and all the shit that um that you have to do. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, Jennifer Lopez crossed my mind. I don't know because I know she's married, like billionaires or something. But let me see. Like, how does someone like Jennifer Lopez invest their money? According to Money Made, she has partnered with Limitless Labs since 2017. This portfolio supports Latinx entrepreneurs in collaboration with Goldman Sachs. JLo also invested $15 million in NRG Esports Series B funding in the same year. Where, do, where, do, where does someone like Jennifer Lopez keep their money in a bank? Let's see. I don't. I don't know why Jennifer Lopez just crossed my mind. It just. I'm just trying to think of somebody who's like really rich. Um. You know, let's see. This is so random. I'm sorry. How Jennifer Lopez's manages her wealth. One of the most influential women of 21st century, Jennifer Lopez's career growth from hustling as a uh, support dancer in Europe to becoming the highest paid Hispanic woman in Hollywood is nothing short of inspiring and, and her incredible net worth is a testament to this. Uh, as of 2022, uh, her net worth is approximately $400 million which is largely derived from movie deals and al album sales, as one might expect. I'm sorry, this is on ansimple.co. Um, uh, uh, $400 million largely derived from movie deals and album sales, as one might expect. However, Lopez, interestingly, also has multiple other channels of revenue, including diverse 
real estate and investment portfolios, and a slew of business deals for various brands. Jennifer Lynn Lopez, born um, July 24th, 1969, uh, from on the block, uh, okay, in the Bronx of New York. Her parents were uh, Guadalupe Rodriguez, a homemaker, and David Lopez. Okay. Uh, oh, let me see. Her parents were Guadalupe Rodriguez, a homemaker, and David Lopez, an insurance employee. Her parents were Guadalupe. Is Guadalupe? I'm sorry. Is that a? I don't. Is it, let me see. I just want to look up Guadalupe Rodriguez. And let me see. I, that's probably they probably call her uh, uh, something else. I just want to see her. Or let me see Guadalupe. Uh. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, there she is right there. Oh, cool. Um, let me see. David, an insurance salesman. All right, so let me kind of fast forward a little bit because that's a lot of her biography. Um, uh, clothing line at Kohl's. Glow. Uh, she has her fragrance. Uh, real estate portfolio. She has a lot of real estate. Um... They didn't even really tell me. And it's not about Jennifer Lopez. It's more so like... Here, let me just go ahead and go back real quick. Um, where do multi-millionaires keep their money? According to Nomad Capitalist, millionaires and billionaires keep their money in different financial and real assets, including stocks, mutual funds, and real estate. Okay, so let me see. What bank accounts do millionaires keep their money in? Private banks. According to Smart Asset, millionaires also have zero balance accounts with private banks. They leave their money in cash and cash equivalents, and they write checks on their zero balance account. At the end of the business day, the private bank, as custodians of their various accounts, sells off enough liquid assets to settle up for that day. Okay. Uh, millionaires may prefer private banks over personal banks. Private banks is typically designed to enhance and manage wealth for high net worth clients. Most people use personal banks to keep their money safe and their bills. Um, let me see something real quick. What is a zero balance account? According to Wikipedia, in finance, a zero balance account is a system of cash pooling. Is a system of cash pooling? Uh, what is a zero balance account? A zero balance account is a bank account that intentionally carried zero dollars. A company only funds the account when items need to be paid and any remaining cash after deposits is often swept at the end of the night. Okay, I'm not getting this. A zero balance account relies heavily on a master account to sweep money. Okay, I don't get it. Um, let me, let me see if uh, this individual can explain it in about two minutes. Zero balance accounts, or ZBA accounts, a particular cash concentration method that's used within banks. Zero balance accounts. I can't be out of money. I still have checks. What is a ZBA, and what is it used for? A ZBA, or zero balance account, is a funds mobilization practice used within a particular bank, within a, a bank where you might have multiple accounts. It automatically mobilizes funds at the end of the day. 
uh, towards the uh, towards the parent account. Is it always a parent-child relationship? Well, it, it has to have multiple tiers. They may use different terms depending on the bank and the mood of the moment. But basically, it's a, it could be two tiers. You can see in the graphic, here's an example of a, a single-tier uh, ZBA relationship where you have a parent and child accounts. Those child accounts become zero at the end of the day. If they have a positive balance of the funds, zero balance up to the parent. Uh, or if they need funds, funds move at the end of the day from the parent down to the child account. As you look at this next graphic, you can see a multi-tier account. And this, this allows funds to move up from a, uh, the lowest level account to the child account and then all the way up to the parent account. So all the accounts below the parent or the master ZBA level are zero. And then the, the final balance is, is held at that, at that most uh, high level, at the highest level that exists within the ZBA structure. Different banks have different numbers of levels that they can support. Rarely do you have a need for more than three levels of zero balance account structure. How does it work? Well, it's a little bit magic because it's done within the bank systems. But simply put, uh, at the end of the day, as their final transactions, the bank will, will find out what the balance is. In, in those lower accounts on a priority basis and move those funds out of that account into the next highest level in the ZBA account. It's the last transaction of the day in those accounts. So what are the important takeaways to remember about ZBA? Well, ZBA is a, a long-lasting and a very effective method of mobilizing funds within an existing bank structure. It requires very little interaction and that information is reported cleanly and clearly on your bank account information. Okay, I guess I just got to be a millionaire to understand because I still don't understand what a ZBA is. But, you know, that happens a lot. I don't understand something and then one day it just clicks. So, um, okay, so let me see something real quick. I know another instrument real quick without um, uh, just brushing over bank accounts that millionaires. And I guess I'm assuming, let me see. Uh, Where do billionaires put their money? Oh, gosh. Here is information from Madison Trust. Where do billionaires put their money? According to nomad capitalists, millionaires and billionaires keep their money in different financial and real assets, including stocks, mutual funds, and real estate. Okay. Okay, so there's various ways people store their money. Um, I I like... Would a billionaire put their money in a bank? Let me see. Do billionaires put their money in banks? According to Go Banking Rates, it's not very practical to keep large amounts of cash on hand, so rich people often use it to invest in cash equivalents they can convert to cash quickly and easily if they need to. Cash equivalents are liquid assets such as bank CDs, treasury bills, money market funds, and short-term debt instruments. Okay, so it wouldn't be very practical to just go ahead and put it in the bank essentially i guess you should just open up the bank i don't know um let me see because again these people i'm not saying that they don't want to make money i mean clearly they are very good at it um but you know i'm pretty sure you and you want to reach out to your tax advisor and your lawyers and your cfas and and cpas and everyone um 
but I'm pretty sure it gets to a point where it's like, okay, this year, um, let's see real quick. How do billionaires avoid paying taxes? According to Brookings Institution, currently, wealthy households can finance extravagant levels of consumption without even paying capital gains taxes on the accruing wealth by following a buy, borrow, die strategy in which they finance current spending with loans and use their wealth as collateral. Mm, mm. So, sounds like they use debt a lot, you know, uh, in that way, um, I don't, I, I don't know how to describe it. So, essentially... Um, I'm worth, I, I guess, you know, let's just say a hundred million dollars. And, uh, instead of, uh, um, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think about it instead of using my own money to, um, invest in a project, I'll go to a bank or someone and basically just say, Hey, can you give me a hundred million dollars? Or $200 million, who knows, uh, to invest in this project. And here's my money. I'm going to use this collateral. And when I'm done with this project, I'm going to pay you back with interest. And that way, uh, I avoid uh, any capital gains or whatnot. I'm not I'm not sure. I'm just kind of trying to think of this. Uh, Ten ways billionaires avoid taxes. Let me see. Okay. Uh and of course, the person that's like on front front is uh is your your one and only Trump. Uh, you know, they also got a picture of I think he's the owner of T-Mobile or the CEO. Is that the owner of PayPal? I think I'm not sure. Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, and uh, this guy I know his face, but I don't know. All right, let's see the ultra wealth. Uh, our first story unraveled how billionaires like Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos were able to amass some of the largest fortunes in history while paying remarkable, remarkably little tax relative to their immense wealth. They did it in part by avoiding selling off their vast holdings of stock. The U.S. system taxes, uh, the U.S. system taxes income. Selling stock generates income so that they avoid income as the system defines it. And I'm not sure exactly if that's completely true. I'm sure they do avoid selling stocks. But um, if I am correct, there's this thing called a qualified charitable donation, which I'm pretty sure if they wanted to, they could just go ahead. Let me see. Uh, what is a qualified charitable donation? According to Fidelity Charitable, a qualified charitable distribution allows individuals who are 70 and a half years old or older to donate up to $100,000 total to one or more charities directly from a taxable IRA instead of taking their required minimum distributions. Okay, so you can don't you can do uh, and I'm sorry, it's a qualified charitable distribution. So you can donate more than $100,000. It's just it's just not going to I guess it's, it's not going to be um uh I guess it's not going to be covered, you know from the IRA, which is, which is cool, but at least a hundred thousand dollars, it appears that, uh, you can avoid capital gains, uh, at least up to a hundred thousand dollars. Wouldn't this be nice just to have rich people problems? It's like, gosh, darn it. I made too much money this year. How do I not pay so much in taxes? 
you know, because, I mean, nobody really wants to have that huge tax burden at the end of the year. Um, now, I don't know if this sounds like coonery, uh, but um, I, 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 can't be wrong. I don't understand the big deal with uh, if I'm making a lot of money paying some taxes. I mean, let's see real quick. I mean, I don't, I don't understand. Where do tax dollars go? According to TurboTax, Intuit, the federal taxes you pay are used by the government to invest in the country and to provide goods and services for the benefit of the American people. The three biggest categories of expenditures are major health programs such as Medicare and Medicaid. And, you know, I'm pretty sure. Are there people who still talk tax dollars? Let's see. I'm pretty sure. There's concerns of that, you know, this money is, um, I'm pretty sure that there are some people who stole tax dollars. I think we had, uh, somebody out here, was it Jack, Jack Johnson? Sorry. Uh, who was the politician who had their wife's stuff checks in her panties? Was it Jack Johnson? Uh, let me see. This lady right here is talking about it. Let me see. If I'm correct, um, essentially this guy, if I'm correct, was, um, let me see. Pretty good in Prince George's County, Maryland. The D.C. suburb was finishing up a $2 billion convention in retail development on the Potomac River and had grown into one of the richest African-American majority counties in the country. And the public faces of that county were Jack and Leslie Johnson, profiled in New York Times Magazine about the rise of the black suburb. As county executive, Jack B. Johnson looked a bit like the king of Prince George's, presiding over a community's progress and development. But then, things began to fall apart. I don't know who they are, and they're banging on the door. Real quick, a uh, little uh, fact. I, I want to see if they show his face. I actually worked with uh, one of the IRS agents that um, worked this case. horses and all the king's men couldn't keep Johnson from ending up with one of the longest prison sentences in the history of Maryland political corruption. All right, we're not going to watch this whole thing. Let me fast forward. My name is Ian Hoppy, and I'm here to show you why local reporters matter. When you think of local reporting, you probably... And I can't remember that agent's name, but uh, yeah, I actually worked on him. It was kind of cool. Uh... Uh, I forgot his name. Uh, he was actually a, a, a black guy, um, or African American, or Negro, Afro American, whatever they call us these days. And I'm pretty sure if you've lived long enough, you've been called multiple <laughs> different things. But he was a uh, he was a black guy. Um, for lack of better words, he was a lighter complected black guy. Uh, yeah, I can't remember his name right now though. But, but that was really cool. Not the Washington Post. But for residents of the D.C. area, the Post is a local paper covering everything from obituaries to restaurant openings. And a whole lot of local corruption. In 2006, Cheryl W. Thompson and her colleague Ovita Wiggins did just that. My name is Cheryl W. Thompson, and I write investigative stories for the Washington Post. 
Jack Johnson came to the county and became an assistant state's attorney and later became the state's attorney. He served two terms and then he became county executive. He and his wife were sort of seen as African-American success story. There was a city editor who had a television in his office, and I would wander by. And every time it seemed like I wandered by, Jack was on the television having some press conference about a police officer that he was trying to prosecute. And I would stop, and I'd look at the guy, and I'd listen to him, and I would think to myself, there's something a little odd about this guy. And so I started covering him, um, but I didn't know anything about the county. And so I needed to be reporter, Ovita Wiggins, who knew that county like she knew her name. The first story Ovita and I did was on contracts. We found that Mr. Johnson was giving contracts and jobs to his friends and, and political supporters, many of whom produced no work product, which is required by the county. He was creating county positions, hiring his fraternity brothers and his golfing buddies. There was no oversight over Jack Johnson. He reported to the people, and the people were happy. In another report, Cheryl revealed that Johnson had been flying around the world on the taxpayer dime. First class. It was misusing mm. the taxpayer-issued credit card, going to Hooters and spending, you know, money and doing it to the taxpayer. God of God, church has got money. Mm. This man was at the Hooters. Those wings are not, no offense, those wings are not even that good, man. They are right. And the curly fries, how do you fuck up curly fries? Curly fries are one of my favorite french fries. And the Hooters manages to find a way to fuck them up. Developer National Harbor, Mel Peterson, gave the county $3.5 million. That money was supposed to go to community projects, but a lot of it went to friends of Jack Johnson. Now there are term limits in Prince George's County. And at the end of 2010, Johnson's reign seemed to be coming to an end. But he still found a way to keep lording over this county. After that, then Jack said, I'm going to appoint a committee to make sure that this money is spent well. And then I find out that his wife's on that committee. And he was trying to get her to become head of the zoning, which of course controls all the land in the county. After three years of investigative reporting, Cheryl began to wonder if the Johnsons were just going to get away with it. I don't know who they are in there banging on the door. <laughs> Jack Johnson was two weeks from leaving office and at 10, 12 a.m. It was November 2010. His wife called and she was frantic and she said, Jack, there are FBI agents knocking on the door and he tells her, don't answer it. And then wait. My guy that I worked with very briefly, he I worked with him very briefly before I got terminated. Uh, he wasn't FBI, he was IRS. Where's the check? Where's the check? It was a check for, I believe it was $100,000 that he had gotten from a real estate developer. It was a box of liquor? Yeah, and, it, yeah, and look at, I don't know if you'll see a check in there. Yeah, there's a check in there. You could hear this because what Jack didn't know was his cell phone. It was wired. They were tapping it. What do you want me to do with the check? You hear him banging? Tear up the check and, um, and, and, um, tear it up. Just, just tear it up. That's an FBI Jack. One of them suggested they flush it. <laughs> the FBI, Jack. <laughs> yeah. You want to flush it? Yeah, flush that. Yeah, you just flush that. <laughs> she asked oh. she should go get the money, the cash, and it was $79,600. What do you want me to do with this money? They are banging. What do you put, want me to put do? It, put it in your panties and walk out of the house. Really? No, but I mean all this cash, Jack. 
put it down. Put it in your panties, Leslie. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, stuff it in your panties. Ooh. Look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I ain't got no pity for anybody that's stealing tax dollars. That, I know it sounds corny or cheesy. Like, man, Chan, shut the fuck up. No, dog. I mean, that's serious, man. These people are paying these taxes, thinking that it's going to go to streets, schools, all these things. I mean, that's disgusting. Jack comes home, and they arrest him. The couple was released on house arrest, but even an ankle bracelet couldn't keep Johnson from finishing his term as county executive. A lot of people found Mr. Johnson charming, and he did a lot of things right. He oversaw the completion of National Harbor. He brought the county's first high-end grocery store. He also was instrumental in getting Wall Street to raise the bond rating for the county. So much seemed to be going right in Prince George's County, but the Johnson indictment would change all of that. It became national news. But it really was a sad day for the people of Prince George's County, yeah. particularly the people who believed in him, yeah. who voted for him. And then Johnson's trial defense threatened to turn him from a king. I was probably like 18 when this happened. Or, no. I remember watching I can't him remember. come inside. He was flanked by his attorney. No, I was, I was older than 18. And he came into court and had really thick glasses and was walking with a cane. And I thought, I've never seen him with glasses or a cane. His lawyers told the judge that he was really like 20. and basically looking for leniency. And after they said that, the feds put up a picture of Mr. Johnson carrying his golf clubs a little bit earlier than the court hearing. So that didn't go over well with the judge. The jury found him guilty. The judge sentenced Johnson to seven years, fined him $100,000 ordered him to go under alcohol treatment and forfeit $78,000 and his antique Mercedes. Mm. Leslie went to prison for 10 months. There were so many people who attended that sentencing because it was, I mean, it was really sort of unheard of in that county in many years, a corruption scandal. And his 87-month sentence was one of the longest in Maryland for um, corruption. Interestingly, we didn't find anyone who thought the sentence was too hard. He should have got the maximum. He's done a lot of damage to this county. And I hope the government, whoever it might be, learns from it and improves from it. He was released on a good behavior. He served a little more than five years. Mm. It's easy to get angry about corrupt politicians living in D.C. And it's really easy to ignore the corruption in your own backyard. But it's local corruption that typically has the most impact. And local reporters who typically uncover it. So, my bad. I, I seriously did not mean to watch all that. But, yeah, so, you know, when it comes to these millionaires and billionaires, it's like, man, I'm paying all these taxes. Uh, you know, you don't know if you're going to deal with corruption like that or whatever. They, You know, these people are, are way, way more advanced. They, I mean, they know so much. They they would listen to House of Barf and literally throw up because they'd be like, yo, this is the biggest piece of crap I've ever heard. You know, but uh, so what is billionaires issues with paying taxes according to cnn currently billionaires effectively pay far less personal tax than other taxpayers of more modest means because they can park wealth in shell companies sheltering them from income tax the group said in its 2024 global tax evasion report oh my gosh
One second. Why don't billionaires like to pay taxes? To the hill. Billionaires can take out special low interest loans with their assets as collateral. No, 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 that no. money works just like any kind of income. Why but don't billionaires. Since the loans stop, are. Stop. Why don't you? Is a 1973 hyphenation point children's television series hyphenation point 42 seasons right, that first stop, aired in 1973. Why don't billionaires like to pay taxes? According to The Hill, billionaires can take out special low-interest loans with their assets as collateral. That money works just like any kind of income, but it isn't taxed like it. Since the loans are not considered income, billionaires can reap the growing value of their assets without ever triggering a tax bill. Right, let me try to ask this a different way. Let me see. Why do people say billionaires do not like to pay taxes? Okay, it's going nuts. Why do people say billionaires do not like to pay taxes? Like, why? Why do people say this? Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Okay, Quora. I don't know. This, this is probably not a reliable source, but um, let's just check out to see what people are saying. So you're the founder of a famously successful tech startup company that is about to IPO. You own 20% of the shares and the company will IPO at 10, no, 100 billion in valuation. This is just some random person online. Uh, it appears that he has like the best answer. Uh, this is Bill Jackson, I guess. Uh, so you are now a billionaire times 20. Uh, when the company goes IPO, you take some of the stock that you own and you sell it to pay the enormous capital gains tax that you are going to be hit with as the stock becomes yours and valuable and you want to diversify. Then you take the rest of the stock and let it. Oh, OK, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm trying to. Uh, so now you're living with no income. In the, OK, I'm going to keep going forward. Um. Let me see, there's another person that has a supposedly good answer. One of the common misconceptions of income tax is that all income is taxed. This is not true. There are loopholes. For instance, if you own a home, you can deduct the home loan interest from your taxes. That's a loophole. Businesses also get loopholes. They are called business expenses. If a business makes $10 million but has business expenses of 9.5 then it's only taxed on the remaining five hundred thousand dollars oh fantastic if the business expenses exceed the income then not only do they not pay taxes this year but the excess excess losses can be deducted from the next year income oh fantastic this is true this is some random guy named mike kaufman on quora.com this is true okay so that's pretty cool uh and i'll have to take a look into that uh, there's some guy named Scott Simpson because they don't care about the facts. They don't look at how much the rich already pays, but how much they have after they pay taxes. They are jealous and don't think it is fair. So they come up with these nebulous phrases. The rich needs to pay their fair share, which t to them means all the taxes. <laughs> no, 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 that's not true at all. 
the uh, fair share means fair share means, but regardless, I'm moving forward. Uh, they think, why should I pay tax when the rich has so much? Then, okay, it sounds like this person's talking about common people, why they don't want to pay taxes. Um, uh, what are the, let me see, I, you know, I don't know, maybe Google doesn't have the information. Let me try one more time. What? Why do people say that billionaires do not pay taxes? And and the, I think there is a saying that a billionaire will pay less in taxes than the secretary. Um, but let me go ahead and take a look. See. I'm just looking at some article. It looks like it's The Hill. Uh, Working Americans pay income taxes. Why don't billionaires? Okay. Uh, Let's see. Uh, It is far past time that we stopped tolerating billionaires paying no taxes. Despite out-of-control growth. Uh, Let's see. This isn't more so what I was looking for. Income tax. Okay. This is something else. Okay. I don't know why... Um, people say that billionaires, the ultra wealthy, uh, don't like to pay taxes. I have heard a theory that the reason why, let me me see. The reason why billionaires don't pay taxes is because they create jobs. Is that true? Okay. Yeah. It takes, there's not too many articles out here. Why the ultra wealthy uh, I'm coming across like the same articles. Um, the U.S. ultra-wealthy justify their low tax rates with three myths. Okay, The Guardian. Okay, okay. So, I'm cool with them being myths. I just want to hear them. What are these myths? Um, what's myth number one? First is the trickle-down economics. Billionaires and anthropologists claim that the wealth trickles down to everyone else as it invests and creates jobs. Okay, so that's one myth that I've heard. I guess, it, you know, I have heard of trickle-down effect. I That's not so much what I was thinking, but I guess uh, it's the same thing. They Because uh, they create event, essentially a society for people to exist. Uh, and, you know, in lack of better words. So, therefore... Uh, uh, if it wasn't for them, then they shouldn't have, you know, they don't, they shouldn't have to pay taxes. Uh, really, for more than 40 years, as wealth at the top has soared, almost nothing has trickled down. Oh, okay. So, and yes, I think that was uh, uh, reviewed, I think, back in the, I think that was Reagan's uh, administration, where essentially, uh, you know, um, if the wealthy pay less in taxes then they'll um fi- uh fi- you know Reagan administration created a lot of fake shit i mean if you think about it, i think it was the Reagan administration that created the trickle down uh and also the fiat currency and literally we're living in it in the existence of monopoly money let me see real quick um when was the trickle down uh thing created According to scholarly community encyclopedia, 
The Merriam-Webster Dictionary notes that the first known use of trickle-down as an adjective meaning relating to or working on the principle of trickle-down theory was in 1944 while the first known use of trickle-down theory was in 1954. 1954, okay, so it looks like that was Lyndon B. Johnson. Did trickle-down economics work for Reagan? Okay, whether Reaganomics, okay, so yeah, they called it Reaganomics, uh, or trickle-down inflation actually worked is debatable. President Reagan did cut taxes, lower interest rates, and decrease inflation, but government spending increased and federal debt nearly tripled from 19... I'm sorry, from $998 billion in 1981 to $2.857 trillion, gosh, uh, in 1989. Good job, uh, Reaganomics. Um, yeah, so uh, that's one myth, uh, that they shouldn't, uh, billionaires, should, the ultra-wealthy shouldn't have to pay taxes because... They create societies, I guess. The second myth is the free market. The ultra-rich claim they're being rewarded by the impersonal market for creating and doing what people are willing to pay them for. The wages of other Americans have stagnated, they say, because most Americans are worth less in the market now that new technologies and globalization have made their jobs redundant. You know, sometimes I do get concerned of, like, if you do really well, should you, shouldn't you be rewarded? I mean, I don't know. You know, um, I was listening to this thing. Um, uh, I was watching The Chosen, and uh, I was listening to this thing. Basically, you know, it's a show about uh, Jesus Christ. And, um, uh, he, you know, Jesus was saying that uh, one strayed sheep is uh, essentially will get more attention than 99 sheep who essentially stay in line. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes I find that a bit odd. I've noticed like even in class, um, uh, the girl or the guy, uh, who's getting straight A's in the class, typically in my personal opinion, don't really get rewarded. Now they may have a pizza day or something for this kid. You know what I'm saying? And that's exciting and all, but for the rest of the, year 10 months we're in school whatever this person is ignored they're not getting any attention and dumb people like me saying no, i'm kidding uh our, our disruptive students are receiving all the attention you know what i'm saying and i, I found that always kind of odd that sometimes uh for people who have created uh you know a tech firm or something that um uh has made multi-billions and we're all willing to pay for it you know, uh, even the NFL, we're all willing to pay for it. NBA, entertainment, concerts, uh, uh, social media, whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm wrong. Enough. Shouldn't they be rewarded? You know, I don't know if it's through taxes, you know, or whatever. I don't I don't know. I don't know. That may sound stupid. But uh, let me see. Um, uh, let me see. It uh, became redundant. Baloney. Even if they're rewarded, there's no reason why the free market would reward vast multiples of the rich were reward. I'm sorry. Let me start over real quick. Uh, the wages of other Americans have stagnated, they say, because most Americans are worth less in the market now that new technologies and globalization have made their jobs redundant. Baloney. Even if they're re being rewarded, 
there's no reason why the free market would reward vast multiples of what the rich were rewarded with decades ago. The market can induce great feasts of invention and entrepreneurship um, with lures of hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars, not billions. As the rest of us succumbing to labor, replacing globalization and labor savings technologies, no other advanced nation has nearly the degree of inequality found found in the United States. Yet all the nations have been exposed to the same forces of globalization and technology changes. Okay. Okay. So, okay. It's a myth. Um, we say they should be rewarded for, uh, you know, we, you know, somebody creates, you know, something that, you know, we all are willing to pay for, uh, you know, they should be rewarded. But however, uh, it's not really creating the jobs and everything that we need due to new technologies and globalization. If I'm reading this correctly, uh, real quick, in reality, the ultra wealthy have rigged the so-called free market in the United States for their own benefit. Billionaires campaign contributions have soared um, from a relatively modest 31 million in 2010 elections to 1.2 billion. Goodness gracious. In most recent presidential cycle, a nearly 40 fold increase. That's crazy. Um, What have they got for their money? Tax cuts, freedom to banish. I mean, I'm sorry, to bash unions and monopolize markets and government bailouts. Their pockets have been further lined by privatization and deregulation. Goodness gracious, they make ultra wealthy sound like devils. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I've never, honestly, I've never. If, I, I would have to put a bunch of people together before I, 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 I don't think I know millionaires. Except if you include real estate, then I may know some millionaires. You know what I'm saying? But, um, man, to see the people I know. I mean, as far as I know, uh, they've became millionaires uh, over the generations. Um, see, me and my people, uh, we started off as the maids, uh, moved on to post office, uh, moved on to mili- military. Uh, so throughout the generations, uh, they've acquired their wealth through, uh, I would say, hard work. Um, so... I don't know these people who are trying to donate to campaigns to get, you know, tax cuts and all this stuff. I I don't know these people. But if I was reading these articles, I would say, man, uh, these ultra wealthy people are terrible. They're awful. Uh, uh, but I'm not going there. Um, but the third myth is that they're superhuman beings. Oh, gosh. Uh, they portray themselves as self-made, rugged individuals who did it on their own. Uh, and therefore deserve their billions. Uh, Bupkis. Uh, six of the ten wealthiest Americans alive today are heirs to fortunes passed on to them by wealthy ancestors. Uh, others had the advantages that come with wealthy parents. Jeff Bezos' garage-based start was funded by a quarter million investment from his parents. God bless his parents. You know, seriously, God bless parents, man. My parents as well, your, your parents, all of our parents. If you have some parents there that are willing to support you, I mean, seriously, what what are you going to do? Take out a loan out of your house? What are you going to do? Take a loan from the bank? Why not? When you can have your parents right here fund your operation, 
You do the right thing with it. And next thing you know, you can pay your parents back and say, Mom and Dad, thank you so much. We should not be tearing people down. I, I notice we do this a lot in America where we tear people down for having parents who are willing there to help their child get along, even if they're the kid is well into their 40s or 50s. Now, I know some people have an issue with that. I get it. Now, if the I, I don't know what to say, but the child is 40, 50 years old, and you know what I'm saying? Um, I don't know what to say. And I guess they're, they're, I don't know what to say. But I feel like, man, that's a great, I don't know. I think you have to kind of weigh where it's like, man, this kid, they, they keep taking from you. They just keep taking, taking, taking. And all they're doing is smoking it up and eating pizza and playing video games. I mean, maybe one day that video game will take them to the next tax bracket. Maybe. I don't know. But let's go ahead and keep going real quick. Uh, Bill Gates' mother used her bi- her business connections to help land a software deal with IBM that made Microsoft. Elon Musk came from a family that reported owned shares of Emerald Mine in South Southern Africa. Don't fall for these myths. Trickle down economics is a cruel joke. The so-called free market has been dis disoriented, um, disoriented by huge campaign contributions from the ultra wealthy. Don't lionize the ultra wealthy as superior self-made human beings who deserve their billions. They are, they were lucky and had connections. In reality, there is no justification for today's extraordinary concentration of wealth at the very top. It's disoriented by politics, rigging our markets, and granting unprecedented power to a handful of people. All right, this, this, it goes on and on, and, and it sounds like a great article. Again, that's on the Guardian.com. The U.S. ultra-wealthy justify their low tax rates with three myths. All of them are rubbish by Robert Reck. So, um, okay, uh, that's a whole lot. But uh, just to get kind of, I guess, back on topic, when these people come ultra-wealthy, or not these people, but I, I guess in a sense, okay. So they, it sounds like they do use a lot of real estate, stock markets, uh, businesses, campaigns. Uh, but I did want to look up something real quick on uh, municipal bonds, uh, munis- municipal securities. Give me a second. Uh, it looks like there's also we went over the zero balance accounts. It looks like they have bank accounts. They can go to private banks, some way to protect their money because it's not always people are like you know I don't always want to put it in the stock market. Don't always want to risk my money. I don't want to make any money. No offense. I, my, my spouse passed uh, this year and left me $10 million. I don't want to have to pay capital gains taxes on that right away, at least this year. Uh, what can I do? It looks like there's ways with starting businesses. And a, it appears that you can uh, uh, take a loss on the... Uh, well, you got the business expenses, as they touched on. And then... Uh, it looks like there was like an excess uh, capital or something that you can uh, take a try to take a loss on. I have to go back and do the research. And then also, um, you can also take losses years and years after that. Or you can move some of those losses or something to the next year. Uh, let me see if I can find that article again so I can make sure I'm reading this stuff correctly. Uh, da, 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 da. It's all good. Uh, I'll find it again. We'll go, we'll go over all this stuff over again many times. It's not like this is the only time we'll go over this stuff. Uh, so we'll figure it out. Um, so let me take a quick break, and then we'll just go over some municipal securities. Uh, just very basic. Uh, and then we're going to get ready to head out of here. 
Uh, let me go ahead and take a look at Forex, see what's popping. Uh, looks like my short position is down about 50, uh, 60 pips. Uh, it just jumped, uh, maybe because I needed to refresh my screen. And then, um, which is fine. Uh, essentially, with Forex, I'm still learning. Essentially, I got my long position that uh, was I, I, I locked in like a like a like a um like a 225 pip loss or something like a 260 pip loss or something locked it in and then just put the hedge position in more so so I could just get some rest you know what I'm saying I was watching the uh the USDJPY and I'm like you know I just want to get some rest so I put in the hedge position and it's basically essentially if this thing drops anymore that my hedge position will protect me a little bit because on the other end, how's it protecting me if the long position shoots up? Then I'm essentially, you know, I'm I'm always going to be up 400, down 400, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to work on it. And we're going to get out of this situation and we're going to keep going. Uh, I want to thank anybody and everybody who decided to stop by and kick it with your mans. I appreciate it. I'm Chan Man. This is House of Barf. Introducing the Listener Support Program. Feeling the future and quality of House of Barf. Dear loyal listeners, at the House of Barf, we strive to bring you the most engaging, informative, and entertaining content every day into the world of business, accounting, regulation, and finance. We strive to provide you with expert knowledge, practical tips, and thought-provoking discussions to help you excel in your financial endeavors. We are dedicated to fostering meaningful conversations, sharing valuable insights, and creating a community of like-minded individuals who are passionate about business, accounting, regulation, and finance. Producing high-quality content requires dedication, resources, and effort from a talented team of one, me, but in the future, you know, hopefully I'll have a team. That's why we are excited to introduce our listener support program. This initiative allows you, our cherished audience members, to play a pivotal role in shaping the future and the content and assuring House of Bar's sustainability. In the future, becoming a supporter, you will be able to enjoy a range of exclusive benefits. Benefits that I'm hoping to be able to bring eventually, early access to episodes, um, access to episodes that are not you know, public, uh, you know, that are not accessible to everyone, possibly even um, create better content. And then all those mistakes I make, maybe I'll put them in a separate episode. You'll be able to get some behind the scenes stuff um, uh, and other uh, exclusive um, um, things such as merchandise. Possibly I have, uh, you know, a children's book coming out, maybe able to offer that. Uh, your support goes directly towards enhancing the quality of our content, expanding our reach, our research, and investing in new resources and technology to bring you even better experiences. Your contribution will help us continue to deliver thought-provoking discussions, captivating stories, and insightful inter... Oh, no, sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Um, may, in the future, may possibly interview someone uh that will keep you engaged and inspired join me us in shaping the future of house of barf by becoming a supporter today 
Your generosity empowers us to keep our conversations alive and ensures that we can contribute to provide valuable content to audiences around the United States and hopefully in the future of the world. To support us, simply visit podcasters.spotify.com. Then you can get to House of Barf. Um, also, it is on Spotify. And um, support this podcast and become a supporter. And choose a membership tier that aligns with your preferences. Every contribution, no matter how small or how big, makes a meaningful impact and is deeply appreciated. Thank you for being an essential part of our journey. With your support, we can reach new heights and create content that truly resonates with you, our incredible listeners. God bless. Happy listening. I'm Chan Man. This is House of Barf. Again, if you would like, you can visit podcasters.spotify.com backslash pod backslash show backslash Chan hyphen man seven. And you can go to support this podcast and become a supporter today. Thank you. You can also reach me at c287gph at gmail.com. Thank you again. You have a wonderful day. God bless. Yo, yo, yo. Let's get a chairman house of barf. Uh, right now, we're just kind of discussing... You know, individuals, not so much that they're not risk takers, not not much, not that so much, but individuals who are like, hey, look, I made a bunch of money this year. I, um, you know, my, my parent passed away and they left us uh, some mansion in Salt Lake City and uh, Utah. And uh, we sold the house and it was worth, a, a, you know, a couple million dollars. Uh, and you know, it, it appreciated, you know, a couple million dollars or something like that. I don't know, a few million dollars and, uh, we sold it and we earned a lot of in capital gains tax. Uh, I do want to put this money somewhere, uh, but I do not want to make another dime if possible, or if it does just minimal, I don't feel like you got to put it in an investment that is going to skyrocket because this year, I'm okay. We made a lot in capital gains tax. Next year, I probably won't be having the same income. Uh, so maybe next year, we'll work on, you know, taking my money from zero and turning it into some hero. I don't know. Um, so more so, where do they put their money? How do, how do these people kind of avoid their taxes and whatnot? Not avoid taxes, because that, that sounds bad. Uh, but more so like, you know, what goes on? So uh, previous looked in like, it looks like um, uh, there's a, a lot of ultra wealthy people. You know, there's different avenues. They put it in real estate. They put it in small businesses and depreciate the business. Uh, it's one article even was talking about shell companies. But there's multiple different ways they go about it. One way that I saw so well is loans. They use debt a lot. Uh, to kind of uh, offset capital gains. Um, essentially, if you take out a loan and then pay it back, it's not taxed. Um, so just various things like that. Also, political contributions, it appears, um, which is huge. Um, uh, one thing I was going to take a look at is municipal securities real quick, because I do believe this is one avenue if it's like, hey, look, I don't want to make no bread, 
and, and I want to put my money towards something. I want to make my money useful. I don't want to just put it in a bank. Forget the FDIC or the DIF that we just uh, looked up. I forgot what the DIF stood for. Uh, but some type of uh, insurance for uh, private banks or something like that. Uh, but essentially, I, I don't want to just put it in the bank, not even because the FDIC and insurance and everything, blah, blah, blah. More so, you put it in a bank and you're funding their operation, Bank of America's, Wells Fargo's, whatever. You know what I'm saying? You're funding their operation. Because trust me, this is how you know that the bank is using your money. Uh, I, and I'm just making an assumption is that let's say, for example, you go to pull your money out. I'm pretty sure that bank would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is is there anything we can do to keep you as a client? Because who really cares if you, if I'm putting your money in a safe, you know, with your name on it, you know, blah, 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 Miss Johnson or whatever. Uh, and you come to get it. What's the big deal? If, if that, if that's literally what we're doing with your money, just it's sitting still when you come to get it, I would be very happy to say, Hey, yeah. And we have every single dime of yours and here it goes. Well, I'm pretty sure that's not the way it goes, and that's because they're using the money to fund their operations, to build their branches, to build their ATMs everywhere, to do fund their international, you know, projects, and then you know, of course, they're giving you some interest, and and, and they're doing okay. So I would say that's pretty much more so what's going with banks, but so it's like I want to fund something, but I don't want to make money on it. Well, one way political contributions. Uh, um, you know, uh, so there's different ways and then you get tax deductions and all these type of things, qualified charitable donations, those type of things, but uh, qualified charitable distribution only covers up to like a hundred thousand dollars. So I did want to take a look into these municipal securities because this could also give the avenue of a way to put your money towards use. Uh, and, uh, and, and I believe it also helps out with, um, uh, tax purposes, but let's go ahead and take a look. I do think regulation-wise, there is this thing referred to as the Blue Sky Law, and that affect municipal securities. Let me just check. What is the Blue Sky Law? According to Wikipedia, a Blue Sky Law is a state law in the United States that regulates the offering and sale of securities to protect the public from fraud. Okay, I don't, I don't think that really covered anything. Uh, let me see. Uh, um, the laws which may vary state by state typically require sellers of new issues to register their offerings and provide financial details ah let me see uh blue, blue sky laws definition and examples uh the background of the blue sky law the origin of the name is generally traced to 1917 that was when a Supreme Court justice ruling on the validity of state securities laws used the term to warn against fly-by-night fraudsters attempting to sell securities with no more basis for for value than blue sky. I don't know. Since then, all the state securities laws have become to known as the blue sky law. Okay, let me see. Um... Okay, I'm going to take a look at that. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Of course I don't. All right, so let's take a look at uh, municipal securities. I'm going to go pull out my handy-dandy Kaplan General Securities uh, book. Um, 
Let's go ahead and take a look real quick. The Municipal Securities Unit, and I'm going to be reading this myself because this is a book, and I need to work on my read aloud tool so that um, uh, uh, so that I can stop doing all the reading. AI can do the reading. Uh, the Mis Municipal Securities Unit. Now, this book is for testing purposes, so it may not be the best as far as information, but let's go ahead and take a look. Uh, the mis Municipal Securities. Uh, let me see. Oh, they're talking about the exam. For, uh, let me go ahead and move forward it's just uh other stuff all right municipal debt characteristics municipal bonds are securities issued either by state or local government or by u.s territories authorities and special districts investors that buy such bonds are loaning money to the issuers for the purpose of public works and construction projects example roads, hospitals, civic centers, sewer systems, and airports. Municipal securities are considered second in safety of principle only to U.S. government and U.S. government agency securities. The safety of a particular issue is based on the issuing municipalities' financial stability. Municipal securities are exempt from the filing requirements of the Act of 1933. I need those. Those are two years that if, you know, in my uh, industry, well, not my industry, but I mean, because more so securities, not, you know, I, I don't know, insurance companies care about shit like this or real estate. But uh, 1933 and 1934 are like two years that someone like me should know everything back to back to back to back. Like uh, one of them is, I believe, the Bank Secrecy Act and the other one, crap, I can't remember, 1934. Uh, we're going to have to go over this real quick. What is the Act of 1933? According to Legal Information Institute, Cornell University, the Securities Act of 1933 was Congress's opening shot in the war on securities fraud. Congress primarily targeted the issuers of securities. Companies which issue securities seek to raise money to fund new projects or investments or to expand their operations. Okay, we're going to, uh, let me see, what was the purpose of 1933? The Securities Act of 1933 has two basic objectives. To require that investors receive financial and other significant information concerning securities being offered for public sale. And to pro prohibit deceit, misrepresentations, and other fraud in the sale of securities. Okay, so, you know, you know this is great, great depression time. Uh, something, I, we're going to go over that because... For me, these are very like significant years. You got to know these acts like, like as people say, the back of your hand. Um, the key difference between the SEC Act of 1933 focuses on guidance for newly issued securities, while the Securities Act of uh, Securities, uh, the SEC Act of 1934, provides guidance for actively traded securities. Okay. That's the main difference. 1933 is the issuance, getting making sure that we get our information on it. 1934 is for actively traded securities. We're going to touch on that more in depth on another. Here, I'm going to go ahead and jot that down as a topic because in this industry, that's that's something that I know back to back to back to back to back to back. All right, 1933, 1934. Going to go ahead and jot that down. We'll go over those topics uh, another day. All right, uh, real quick. Uh, municipal securities are exempt from the filing requirements of the Act of 1933. 
Uh, however, like other securities, they are subject to the anti-fire provisions of Securities Exchange of 1934. So you're good on the issuance. You're exempt, I guess, from that. But once you become publicly traded, then you are governed by 1934. All right. Tax benefits. Uh, purchasers of municipal debt often benefit from favorable tax treatment on the interest payments. The federal government does not gen generally tax the interest payments. This tax treatment originated from the doctrine of the, oh my gosh, reciprocal immunity doctrine of the mutual reciprocity. See, this is why I need AI to read this shit for me. Reciprocity. Um, oh, sorry about that. Established by the Supreme Court decision in 1895. The doctrine specifies that a level of government can tax only the interests of its own issues. Uh, interest on municipal securities may be taxed by the municipal level, state and local governments, but not by the federal government. Interest on the issues of the federal government. Uh, let me see. Sorry, lost my place. Uh, interest on the issues of the federal government, treasury bills, notes and bonds is taxed by the federal government, but is exempt from taxation at the state and local levels. Goodness gracious, it's getting kind of confusing for me, but I'll brush up on it and I'll get it like nothing. Interest on issues of U.S. territories is subject to a tripled exemption, federal, state, and local. Damn, so I should be invested in, who knows the, the U.S. territories? Was it uh, Guam, U.S. Virgin Islands? Um, crap, I should know this like the back of my hand. This is embarrassing. Uh, what are the five U.S. territories? According to Wikipedia, five territories are permanently inhabited, unincorporated territories. The other nine are small islands, atolls, and reefs with no native population. Uh, if I'm correct, the American Samoas, okay, there it goes. The American Samoas, Guam, Northern Marina Islands, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Okay, so you invest one of the municipal bonds under that, you're exempt from taxes from local, state, and um, federal. Uh, so it appears that municipal bonds uh, are exempt federally, but could be subject, if I'm correct, if I read this correct, could be subject to local, let me see, local government can't tax only the interests of its own issues. So it appears that if you, let's say, you know, I'm in Maryland and I decide that I want to invest in a municipal bond in Maryland. It appears that I'm exempt federally, but the state can tax my uh, my um, my interest payments. Uh, then it does look like if I do get into U.S. Treasuries, for example, that I'm exempt um, from state, uh, is it, but may be taxed by the federal government. Okay, but if I invest in a U.S. territory is subject to a triple exemption, federal, state, and local. Uh, two, two important municipal tax issues must be clarified. The interest on the municipal debt is largely exempt from taxation, but not capital gains. Municipal bond investors who buy low and sell high will have capital gains to report. Investors that pur purchase municipal bonds issued by the state in which they live often receive a special tax exemption. 
they may not be required to pay taxes on interest to the federal government or state government. For instance, if you live in Los Angeles, California, and buy a state of California municipal bond, the interest will not be subject to taxation on the federal or state of California return. However, if you live in Temp, Arizona, and buy a California municipal bond, the interest will be exempt from the taxation of the federal government, but will be taxed by the state of Arizona. Okay, wow. All right, that's fantastic stuff. Um, and also, if you buy a municipal bond low and then decide that, hey, somehow I can't remember how bonds work. I got to work on that a little bit, which basically if um, the interest rate, I believe, goes down, then the principal of the bond will go up. And then therefore, you bought the bond at a lower level. And then you said, you know what, let me go ahead and sell this at a higher level. And then you will be subject to capital gains tax. And I'm I'm going to assume that it's going to be taxed both federally and state. I'm not sure if they touched on that, but we'll go ahead and take a look at this. Uh, as a result of the tax advantage status of municipal bond interest, municipalities generally pay lower interest rates than do corporate issuers. Okay, uh, The amount of tax savings experienced by an investor will determine whether a municipal bond is a better investment choice than a corporate bond. Investors should be aware of a tax equivalent yield when accessing when when assessing the um, sorry uh, merits of a municipal bond investment. In general, tax-free municipal securities are more appropriate for investors in high tax brackets and are not suitable for investors in low tax brackets. So, Chad, man, your broke ass probably don't don't need to be worrying about ta- capital, you know, taxes and all that stuff. Just go make some money. Uh, the issuers. Three entities are legally entitled to issue municipal debt securities. Deterioral possessions. Okay, this is a lot of information. I'm not sure if this is uh, necessary. Um, and then they go into uh, things like um, sinking fund account to accumulate funds to pay off term bonds at or before established maturity date. Term bonds. Okay. So. General obligation bonds are municipal bonds issued for capital improvements that benefit the entire community. Uh, So um, we are definitely going to get into municipal bonds. What is this? A double barrel bond? Goodness gracious, that sounds violent. Are revenue bonds that have characteristics of go bonds. Interest and principal are paid from a specified facility's earnings. However, the bonds are also backed by the taxing power. So Revenue bonds. It, we're going to go over all this. We definitely will. It's no rush. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's like, hey, you know what? Let's go ahead and chalk it up. You just take, take it easy for the for the you know for the day. Uh, so, uh, you know, these are a few uh, in tax bracket. Don't talk to your tax advisor and everything. Tax bracket. You can you can enter into different tax brackets by doing things like working overtime. You know what I'm saying? So if you realize that you've worked a lot of overtime and that you're going to end up getting yourself in a higher tax bracket, then this is possibly when you want to determine, like, hey, what are some different avenues? Because I think I'm going to be in a different tax bracket this year uh, that I can, uh, you know, not have to pay so much in taxes. So it looks like these are just a few things uh, that we've covered over um Small businesses, shell companies. I don't even know how that even came up in my research. Um, 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 crap. I can't even remember what we just went over. Uh, but uh, the municipal securities, um, 
of course, um, bank accounts. It looks like there was a zero balanced account, a ZBA, where essentially uh, millionaires, billionaires can store their money. And based on the child parent account, uh, uh, when, when people can't explain something very in layman's terms, it's like, come on, man, what's going on here? Um, political contributions. Uh, there was multiple ways, uh, qualified charitable distributions, uh, that if, you know, you're kind of looking at avenues of saying like, Hey, I want to invest, but I'm not looking to make a bunch of money or pay a bunch of money in taxes. Looks like there's a bunch of different ways we can go about it. It's not always like, Hey, um, stock market, stock market, stock market, stock market, Oh, real estate. That was another one. It looks like you can get into real estate and depreciate the real estate as well. You can also take loans out uh, and, and to fund your operations. And then you can just pay the loans back and you don't have any uh, taxes on that or something like that. Uh, there's a bunch of like little I don't I hate to use this word. I don't know if it's correct uh, loopholes in order to put your money. And I think even as a lower uh, income individual, you know, if you're just trying to like, you know, lower your income uh, because, you know, you worked a lot of overtime and, you know, if you you know, make one more dollar, it's going to send you from that, I don't know, 6, 12 percent tax. I don't even know the different tax brackets right now to that 28 percent tax bracket or whatever. And you're like, you know what? Hell not. I'm not going to put myself there. So what are ways that we can figure this out? Talk to your tax advisor, your CPA, your CFA, your financial advisor, whatever it is, and you can get it all figured out. So there's multiple different ways. It's not like, okay, stock market, stock market, stock market, <clears throat> make a bunch of money, make a bunch of, make a bunch of money. And real quick, before I go, I have worked on a couple of cases where, uh, somebody sold a home and, uh, they went to their tax advisor, told them like, Hey, I sold their home. You can, you could even see it in the paperwork when, um, you sit down with your advisor cause your advisor is supposed to take notes on like the conversations. And it's like, yo, this lady basically told you she does not want to make any money and you managed to make her a bunch of money. Now she has this huge tax burden. Um, not to mention, then you rolled the money over to another account and then they got another, t- <laughs> gosh, darn guy, what were you doing? A woman, you're like, what were you doing? So it, it is true. There are some individuals that are like, hey, look, what can I do with my money to not make money? You know, uh, and then there is um, this thing called usury. It's more religious uh, where essentially um, there are some individuals do, that do not believe in making money off of their money. Uh, um, now, so what do they do for money? They work. They save their money. But what what do they do with it? They put it in things like municipal bonds that have really low interest rates, if not 0% interest rates. That's what they're more so looking for, 0%. And I know it sounds crazy. It's it's their belief. They do not want to make money off of their money. Um, Also, they put them in bank accounts with 0% interest. Um, So it's not just uh, ultra-wealthy people. It's also people with uh, uh, beliefs of uh usury i don't know the technical definition of usury here let me look it up real quick Ugh. and then i'm gonna get up out of here seriously it's about 2 30 a.m and uh i'm gonna be taking a look at forex just a little longer and then uh get ready to wrap it up and uh get ready to get this new year started um what does usury mean here's the definition of usury the illegal action or practice of lending money at unreasonably high rates of interest. Okay, okay, 
Okay, that's unreasonable. Uh, are there religious groups that do not believe in making money on their money? I, I don't know if I asked that correctly. Uh, I'm not sure. Forget about it. But yeah, so uh, it's not necessarily usury, but just more so they don't believe in making money off their money. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so um, I think we covered a few things. Uh, people that, you know, even, even if you're someone that's just like, yo, I don't want to be in the stock market, uh, where can I put my money, uh, to it, 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 even with the municipal securities, it said this may not be more beneficial for lower income tax people, but it didn't say that lower income tax people can't put their money there. It's just, you may not get the ultra, um, tax you know, exemptions that uh, a, a high net worth individual may get. So I want to go ahead and say thank you so much to anybody and everybody who decided to stop by and kick it with your mans. I hope you go ahead and go into this new year with lots of wealth and good health and uh, a sound mind and, um, and uh, you know, hopefully uh, this is going to be a great year for you. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. I'm Chairman, and this is House of Barf. I am thrilled to introduce you to an exciting new storybook journey that I believe will capture your imagination. Allow me to present Langston Mangston's Coolamate Stand Adventure a compelling short story that promises to transport you to a world of interest, excitement, and learning. The title of the book is Langston Mangston's Coolamate Stand Adventure by Chandler Hayes. In a world of colorful imagination and captivating stories, a new children's book has emerged to empower our young minds with crucial life lessons, life skills, and financial literacy. Langston Mangston's Coolamate Stand Adventure is a cheering short story written by a talented black author who understands the importance of equipping our youth in the early stages of life with the tools they need to navigate the realm of money, savings, and smart choices. Meet Langston Mangston and his imaginary best friend, Zonky, a pink elephant, two curious souls who embark on an adventure around the vibrant landscape of Wichita, Kansas, where Langston Mangston sets out to accomplish multiple goals and is met with obstacles that he must overcome. Langston, Mengson, and Zonky discover valuable lessons of talking about finances in the home in order to gain knowledge. Langston, Mengson, with a little bit of confidence, the guidance of supportive parents, the help of community members like Mr. Tiller, and his imaginary best friend Zonky, Langston, Mengson learns about the value of money and how to save the importance of making thoughtful spending decisions, the significance of thinking outside the box when met with challenges, with money and the joys of sharing with others. Through relatable experiences and emerging and, and engaging storytelling, young readers are introduced to the fundamental concepts of money, such as earning, saving, and spending responsibly. Langston Mengson set savings goals teaching children the importance of planning for future needs and dreams. The book celebrates diversity and the different perspectives on money, shedding light on its role in different people's lives. The characters' interactions emphasize the joys of serving others, the gift of sharing, 
and making a positive impact in their community. The pages of Langston Mason's Coolamated Stand Adventure come to life with vibrant illustrations. The colorful and imaginative visuals not only captivate young readers, but also enhance their understanding of complex financial concepts. Langston Mason's Coolamated Stand Adventure is coming soon to bookstairs and online realtors. It is a must-have addition to any child's library, fostering essential life skills while sparking the joy of reading. Empower the young minds in your life with the gift of financial literacy and imagination. Join Langston Mason, Zonky, family, and friends on their extraordinary journey of running a drink stand to set them on the path of a brighter future. Your opinion means a great deal to me. I would be honored if you would consider exploring Langston Mason's Coolamade Stand Adventure and sharing your thoughts. Your feedback could play an invaluable role in shaping the future of this project. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to discuss the book further, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Your support in spreading the word about Langston Mason's Coolamade Stand Adventure would mean the world to me, and I deeply appreciate your consideration. I am a passionate advocate for financial literacy. Me, um, Chandler Hayes, um, and and am excited to join the community of storytellers with a background in finances. I am driven to inspire children to embark on their own adventures of learning and discovery through the power of literature. Langston Mason's Coolamade Stand Adventure is a heartfelt endeavor to promote financial literacy in a fun and accessible way. As a black author, I'm committed to providing children of all backgrounds with the tools for success, and I am proud to contribute to a more financially informed generation. Thank you for taking the time to explore this advertisement. And I look forward to the possibility of sharing this extraordinary literature adventure with you. Please feel free to contact me. Uh, You can reach me at the email c287gph at gmail.com. All right. Thank you. Warmest regards. Have a great day. God bless.